It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Broadcasting from the Morton Studio, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty again. Yes, it is Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call in, our phone lines will be open all throughout the show, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. So, Darren, as harvest has been wrapping up here, I know you've been out on a lot of corn and soybean fields, especially looking at breeder plots and what's new and different for seed genetics and traits going into this next year. Give us maybe one thing you're super excited about in corn and one thing you're really excited about in beans. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough to do. But I, I would say this. On the corn side, we've had more calls about corn rootworm this year than anything else. And so I'm pretty excited about SmartStacks Pro with that RNAi technology in there to give uh, uh, more power to what we're doing with corn hybrids to try to fight corn rootworm. And I, unfortunately, I think we're going to need it next year. When you saw the amount of adult beetles out there, it, it wasn't pretty. Now, I'll say this. Uh, just because something has the SmartStacks Pro trait doesn't necessarily mean that's the greatest hybrid in the world for you. I mean, you still have to do all the things, find the right genetics and put it on the right soil that works for that hybrid and all those kinds of things. But it does definitely give you a better chance against corn rootworm. So basically what you're saying is unless you have a severe corn rootworm pressure, unless you have severe corn rootworm pressure, you probably better at least pay attention a little bit to what the genetics are and if it well, actually sure. fits on for your sure. soil. For sure. And, okay. and even even so, even if you do have heavy, heavy pressure, uh, we all know if you put the wrong hybrid out in the, the wrong spot and you well, have something right. that just can't handle high pH and you put it in an 8 pH soil, that's going to melt on right. you. So you don't right, want right. that to happen. Okay. How about soybeans? Well, I think the thing I'm most excited about on soybeans is we are another year down the road with both the enlist trait and the extend flex trait. So we don't have a new trait coming into the market. And it may sound a little weird to say that of what? You aren't excited? There isn't anything new? No, I'm excited they had one more year now for the breeding companies to get better disease tolerance and better agronomics in enlist and in extend flex so that's pretty exciting for me because oh just today i I was talking with a soybean breeder today and he had a new number that we were talking about and i said what are you most excited about this number and he said well he said you've probably seen our yield data already that it's yielding about the same as what we had out the last couple of years and i said yeah he goes, but what I'm excited about is now we've got better standability, better agronomics, better disease tolerance. This thing is going to be a lot more consistent than a product that just has high yield but has a lot of holes. And so that was something that that I thought was pretty cool just to say, you know what, even if yields aren't tremendously better with that variety, I mean, obviously our management can influence that. But if you got better agronomic package and a plant that's able to tolerate stress, which we certainly got a test with that this year, and looking at the drought monitor right now, it looks like a lot of us may get the test on stress again next year. Um, that's a big deal. Having better agronomics on both traits is cool. The last two days, Darren and I have been doing training with a number of agronomists from around the country. It, it was a lot of fun just talking agronomics and, and just kind of sharing some of the things that we've learned over all the years. But when we talk about corn hybrids especially, 
a lot of people fall in love with a hybrid or two, and it's like, oh, I want to plant most of the farm to these couple hybrids. We talked about that a little bit over the last couple of days with all these agronomists, and I just said, look, you can do whatever you want. Your farmer can obviously do whatever he or she wants. That's their call. It's their business to run. But I just said, I'll tell you how I like to run our business on our farm I want to plant lots of varieties, and I don't want to put very a very high percentage at all into any one variety. I said, we're probably going to have, I don't know, 2,300, 2,500 acres of corn this next year on our own farm, and I want to have at least 12 to 15 varieties out there. I mean, I don't want to plant three. I don't want to plant five. Plant a lot. The other thing we talked about just a little bit was all the pollination issues that we saw this year in part, in large part because of the weather stress, but also in part because of some of the insect stress that people didn't control. So I said, first of all, if it's bugs, you got to get out there and kill them. And I realize that there are a lot of people that are still using the year 1996 data saying, and I'm just throwing that out there as a random year, by the way, old data is my point and saying, well, you can't justify treating for bugs. I go, it costs $2. I mean, yeah, you might have to go spray, do the spraying work, but I mean, and even if you want to step your game up and go, oh, I'm going to spray by fenthrin, well, that's 5 or $6 an acre. It's nothing, especially when you've got tremendously high-yielding corn and high commodity prices, so get the bugs under control. But anyway, where I'm going with all this is with pollination issues, our advice to you, if you're even concerned at all about pollination issues, don't plant all one variety in a field. So you can have half the planter is one variety and half is another variety if you would like to. And at least that spreads your risk a little bit. Plus, like on our own farm, we've got cornfields connecting to other cornfields. So if you're planting different varieties and they're all within a mile of each other and you got eight different varieties like we might do, well, <laughs> there's pollen blowing all over the place there. And you're just a lot more... Uh, you you have a lot less risk. So growing up, our grandpa was a banker, and he talked to us all the time about managing risk. I mean, he was also a farmer too. So basically, he got two of the riskier professions that there are there, and and two of the professions are going to talk to you so much about managing risk. But this was one of the big things that was just hammered into both Derek and me all the time: is managing risk. Don't plant one or two varieties. And I know you look at trials right now because people are ordering seed right now and here for the next few weeks. Don't just look at a trial and say, I'm going to take this winter and that winter and this winter. I'm planting three varieties on a thousand acres. I really would not encourage you to do that. In my experience as an agronomist, that usually does not turn out well. And you're setting yourself up for you could have a big time disaster. All right. It's Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you. 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications, and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today and taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got our friend Tony Wendler on right now with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, how's it going? It is excellent, Darren. I wish it'd be a little bit warmer, though. I'm kind of missing the warm weather of uh, a day or two ago. The, well, uh, it really changed. 34 I mean, degrees. <laughs> Yeah, 30 degree, 30 degree drop uh, seemingly about overnight here. Yeah, it changes things up quickly. And, you know, I think about this too, Tony. We often talk about what's going on in grain bins and, and how to do a better job with storing and, and managing your grain. What happens when we have this big drop like this? What kind of impact does that have? If you've got warm grain in the center of your bin and now your outside steel is cold, you're going to have moisture move and condense on the cold steel. And that will, can, if you don't ventilate, will create a rot layer. And uh, the exaggeration of that, even when you cooled your grain down, the exaggeration of that is in the winter, it's very common for people to have uh, rotted grain on the northwest surface where the uh, super cold northwest winds have chilled that uh, the grain at that and the steel colder than what the core of the bin is. Moisture migrates, condenses even in frost, and then as it warms up in the spring, that frost melts and rots the grain right on that skin. So, uh, running your fans, keeping your your grain within a reasonable proximity of what the outside temps are now. The the standard thing in the winter is we're going to bring our grain down into the low uh, 30s, mid mid to low 30s. A few guys freeze, uh, but uh, irregardless, once you've got it to whatever storage temp you're going to do, once a month, run your fans for two to four hours, break up those convections, and that'll help to alleviate some of those issues. 
Sounds simple to do. It also sounds like something that I would need to put a reminder on my calendar just to make sure that I think about that, that I don't all of a sudden say, wait a second, I think it's been two or three months since I've been out there doing stuff. So how often do you recommend checking bins? I mean, I think about how many dollars are in each of these grain bins this year. Uh, seems like that might uh, encourage me to do it more often. Oh, it's uh, if you had that pile of money, how much, how often would you check on it? Like, Every day, you know, we just had a uh, a, uh, a door on it that uh, anybody could go on and take care of. The uh, you would be checking it every day to make sure it's all there. Grain bins, uh, same thing. You know, the uh, when I've got them down to temp and I've got the cores cooled down to where I want them, uh, I am still uh, even though I've got the monitors there and I might be looking at my monitors uh, on a pretty regular basis. I've got mine set up so I can just drive by and read them. The uh, so that's pretty easy. But still, even with monitors, periodically you ought to open the hatch on top, stick your nose in, and uh, just kind of smell and uh, take a look. The uh, I guess I uh, I have to say this. Other than having one um, vent that was leaking, I've never caught anything. But it's still a habit I can't break. I like to just. Uh, even though I've got the electronics monitoring, I like to have my nose in sight, just look in there, and uh, and periodically, you know, maybe every couple months, I'll walk around on the tops of those bins. Uh, the uh, One of the things of having the monitors is to not have us climb and stuff anymore, but old habits are tough to break. Well, you just think about it. If you catch a problem in a bin, just one time in your farming career, you, you've paid yourself very handsomely for all the checking that you're doing. That's why we want to stay on top of those things. And, uh, of course, there are a lot of different things you can do now to monitor grain bins. Uh, Tony Wendler here with Farm Shop MFG, a great resource on that. Uh, you can find more details, and you can contact Tony directly if you would like at farmshopmfg.com. Can I, can I throw out one of the questions I hear a lot from farmers now who have dry soybeans in their bin? Is it too late to do something? And no, it isn't. If you've got uh, some uh, 8 10% soybeans in a bin, uh, we have a uh, way to get a sensor monitor down low. And obviously, the one on top is easy to just run in under the roof. But uh, once we know the information in that bin, uh, we can work to. Uh, even that thing out and bring it up to uh, closer to 13. And that's a lot of money. So uh, that's a very common question. And yes, even though you've got grain in the bin, uh, there's a way we can still get it fixed and get it going. Love the encouragement. Tony, thank you so much. Really appreciate talking to you. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch again soon. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You too. Uh, let's head over to Ohio where it hasn't cooled off yet. We've got Evan over there uh, rocking and rolling with all the harvest time activities. How's it going, Evan? Hey, it's going pretty good. So what's happening on your farm today? Well, we're wrapped up with harvest, and most guys are you know quickly wrapping up. It's been um, a really good fall. I'm like, I can't think back to you know a fall like this, maybe 2011, to where we – you know, started and just never really stopped. So I'm very, very fortunate. I think the last, um, you know, I think the, you know, September 15th, we had maybe three tenths, three, four tenths, and then, you know, basically no rain until, um, 
middle to end of October, you know, maybe a couple of tents here and there, but nothing to really, you know, put us out full days and uh, really good dry down conditions and yields are, yields were, you know, pretty good. I think we'll be above average. Some guys might, you know, set some records on the farms. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been a really, really pretty good fall. We, we had a uh, early frost event on, I think October 8th, which is a little bit abnormal for our area. Kind of took the top end off of some of the later planted stuff, but um, you know, no no complaints outside of that. So, what happens now on the farm? Harvest all done? Is it getting lime out there, or fertility, or what? Are, what are some of the things you guys are trying to get done here before it freezes up? Yeah, a lot of a lot of fertilizer applications. Um, lime is getting put on, which you know sometimes that's tough in Ohio to get lime applications you know done, which is you know, extremely important, but sometimes the kind of gets kicked down the that can gets kicked down the road. Um, so, you know, these dry dry conditions are you know really really favorable for that. So, you know, we are out doing soil sampling just as soon as harvest is done, and boy, it's going to be a little expensive <laughs> replacing the fertility in some of these fields. Uh, how do you do it? How do you watch those costs on your farm? Yeah, I mean, it really starts with the soil sampling. You know, that's the foundation, and, you know, we can figure out what's in the soil and make really good, you know, decisions from there, you know, as far as, you know, where we're going to cut back, if we're going to cut back, and, you know, maybe only do a, a build program only. And where we have good fertility, we know we can cut back and potentially, you know, not apply T and K in those, those areas if we have good fertility. Of course, we're not going to do that for multiple years in a row, but, um, you know, just kind of leveraging that soil test data to, you know, make the best decisions in these crazy times we're in. Yeah, no kidding. It's it's tough because the market prices are so good on these grains yet that you say, huh, I could make a lot of money here, so I don't want to cut back things that are making me money. But it, by the same token, uh, like you say, you got some ground that's built up pretty good. Uh, a guy could definitely definitely make some money this year, no doubt about that. Well, Evan, great talking to you. Glad to hear you had a really good fall there. And uh, uh, I guess uh, good luck here getting all those other things done that will make next year that much easier too. I appreciate it. I got one quick question if you oh, got sure. time for it. You bet. Go ahead. So on the early frost event, there was some corn that was put in in June and, you know, some fuller season corn, and it didn't quite make it to black layer when this frost came in. And um, I don't think it hurt it too bad, but I do think it maybe took some of that top end uh, yield off. And, you know, it, it was like three-quarter, you know, milk line when this frost event came in. So I'm thinking maybe five – five ten percent yield hit you know is that something um you know is that assumption probably pretty close or yeah i uh without looking at the charts right now because there is published data on that out there uh but yeah that's the first thing that i would think of but i would also say when we have a, a frost it has to be a pretty uh, a pretty hard frost to do crazy amounts of damage, but usually we'll see a little bit lower test weight and then also a little bit on the yield. That can yep, answer your absolutely. question there, Evan. Yep, yep. I appreciate it. All right, you bet. Thanks, Evan. Really appreciate it. Good talking to you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio.
Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. It came on a night like any other. With power unlike anything else on Earth. Using beyond advanced active ingredients like bicyclopyrone, Acuron GT Post-Emergence Corn Herbicide is here to annihilate tough weeds. Advanced technology. Enhanced control. Talk to your Syngenta retailer about Acuron GT. Always read and follow label instructions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max Nozzles, the ideal nozzle for dicamba and 240 applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. We would love to talk to you today, hear what's going on on your farm. If you've got any agronomic questions, we'd love to help with that too. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD throughout the show. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Uh, we'll dive into that Ag PhD mailbag here again in just a little bit. Uh, let's head to the phone lines here. We've got Jimmy with us over in Virginia. Jimmy, how's it going? Good guys, how y'all doing? Well, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, what's happening on the farm? Actually, I'm combining some soybeans right now. Our replant beans that the slugs got. You know, we've got here in the mid Atlantic some weeks in middle of May. It just turns right, and 
the slugs win with the heavy residue. So we had some we replanted. And, yeah, well, we're going to be done, hopefully, this evening. That'll be the end of harvest for us. Yeah, slugs are no fun. I, I'm glad we've only seen them on our farm just a couple of times. Never had a massive problem. But you think about no-till and cover crops. There's so many good things about those practices. But, man, I know for, for guys here, that seems to be where we have more of them. Where where do you see more of the slugs there? I think it's generally if a guy plants some, some barley, wheat, rye, and he kills it, you know, right there at your knee and then it comes down and it's going to take a while to decompose and it's going to be a mat, then that's just the the right kind of environment. You know, you say you kill it into April, 1st of May, and then um, they're going to hide under there. That's the worst. I like terminating the cover crop extremely early, like mid-April, mid or letting it, letting it get tall and leggy and planting into it or planting green. But, yeah, we find it. Yeah, the soybeans or the corn both, we, there's trouble. So we've kind of went away from cover crops quite a bit. Uh, you know, as in the past, we used to plant a lot more. Sure. Now I hear, uh, okay, so out here we had a lot of guys that harvested corn at 13% moisture. We had just super low humidity and winds and, and dried the corn out. But I hear you guys didn't, didn't have that kind of condition. You ended up having to dry corn. Is that right? did, and it was drier than normal. We were extremely dry. This is awful. An R3, R4, and, and thank the Lord we got some rain at R5. It was like R5.5, and it was unreal what it did to the corn. Um, and uh, so we generally, you know, 20, 23% is what we're harvesting, but we had some that was 17, 18, and on our continuous flow dryer, we we haven't fooled with the different temperatures anything. We go high flame, low flame, but uh, it, it seemed to really, you get that 17, 18 in there, and they don't even show it on the farm fan book, you know, how to set it at what speed to unload rate. So a lot of that corn ends up 13 and a half or 14 when we overdry it, but we tend to try to run it one year at 60 and it's like it wasn't in there long enough to heat it up. So I was curious what y'all do with that kind of moisture corn, 17 sure. to say 19. Yep. So Jimmy, I'll just tell you, I was the guy who ran the grain dryers on our farm and we have two continuous flow dryers. I ran the grain dryers myself personally for 20 years straight. Yeah. And so I got lots of experience with it. And I will mm -hmm. just tell you, I was constantly messing around with it to try to try to learn and try to figure out what we could do. So our dad was a big, well, first of all, we had everything set up so the dump pit went into the wet bin, and that was it. That was the only choice, and then it went through the dryers. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, I could have the heat off if I wanted to for something, but we always wanted to be out there well, the corn was wetter, 17, 18, 20, 22, whatever, and then we would run it through. Well, we had some times where we, we uh, it, it got a little drier than we wanted. It, it might be 15 to 17, and I'd, just, I'd sail it through as fast as I could, and I'd have the heat down as low as I possibly yep. could. So with ours, there's, it, there's not just high flame, low flame. There was constant adjustment. So I could, I could vary it one degree or two degrees or whatever. And so I would just say for stuff like that, you just have to figure out how you can run it through as fast as possible. And granted, on the other side, you may have an issue like we did. We were restricted. So I could go three different ways to bins. Well, there was one way I could go really fast. The other two, not so fast. So I had to literally run two directions and sometimes three directions just to make this all work so I could so I could get it through my dryers fast enough but that's all you have to do it's not that big a deal it's just it takes time and effort and so let me just guess here that you're probably trying to run the combine and you're also trying to pay attention to the dryers or is somebody specifically running the dryers 
usually dad runs combine i'm on the green cart and the semi bringing into the band and i'm just checking it yeah checking it as a Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's the whole thing. So what I ended up doing eventually is I got off, I got myself off the grain cart and I'm like, okay, I got to have a little bit more time for this to dial it in on the first few days. And then after that, it wasn't bad. And I could check it every couple, three hours or whatever. And it was no big deal. So that, that's probably what I would say is if, if you've got this special circumstance, you may have to have somebody else running the uh, grain cart Mm -hmm. or truck or something else for a little while just to get it dialed in because the, the thing is, when corn is worth nothing, then it's no big deal if you overdry, underdry, whatever. It's right. whatever. Well, my gosh, with what corn is worth right now, if you sh- if you dry it down two extra points, that's a lot of dollars that's out of your pocket. So that that's why. And and we would often hold our corn for eight months or so. So I I, I tried to dial it in uh, to just the right moisture as much as I could. So anyway, that's my kind of long story. Uh, and in a nutshell. You just have to keep working on it, spend a little more time with it. You can get her done. Okay. I, and Oh, and you, it sounded like you had another question about Acuron GT? Yeah, we put that on. Uh, we, we sprayed. We've been doing two passes, you know, pre-plant. And, uh, or, you know, we had cover crops. We definitely want to terminate that sometimes yep. earlier. Yep. But this year we are like, let's try to save a little money and go one pass. And sure. we ended up doing it right after the planter rolled. And we used that. The corn was spiking. My agronomist said it's no big deal. It's not unrolled, but I didn't really know whether it hurt seedling or not because it, it, it talks like on the label it's a post-emerged product, but I didn't know if it, you know, a V1 spiking plant, you know, what chemistries do hurt that corn. I didn't. Nope, no problem. About that. Yeah, no problem. So all you have in there is some HPPD some uh, and some glyphosate and then you've got this group 15 in there so it's it's really not that big an issue uh, the the hppd like callisto and the bicyclopyrone will not hurt it the the glyphosate's not going to hurt it so it, it's just with dual um, and all the group 15s there is a slight risk when you're using it pre-emerge for a little bit of stunting especially when the weather's cold and stuff but once you get to mm-hmm. spike that risk mostly goes away. However, post-emerge, there's also a little risk of a little bit of leaf burn and, again, possibly a little stunting. But it's very, very minor. If I was you, I wouldn't worry about that at all. Uh, there are a lot of other things to worry about on the farm, Jimmy, but that's that's one I would probably say, nah, you're fine. You're good. All right, Brian, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah I was curious about that. But, uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a really dry year and, and – uh, and the corn, the years are just, they just don't look right, but uh, the test weight's been phenomenal. So we're really grateful for that late rain. We were a pretty dry all year. I've never seen the crop respond by, as far as test weight like it did this year. But, um, but yeah, it's been nice talking to you, Brian. Darren, thank you for all the information. You bet. Oh, you Thanks bet. a lot, Thanks, Jimmy. Jimmy. Appreciate it. All right. See you next time. Bye. That's it. All the way across the country over to Oregon. Got Mike on with us right now trying to get some work done in between the rains. How's it going, Mike? Oh, it's going good. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. So we're catching rain now. That's that's okay, right? Yeah, that's. Uh, we've been waiting for that for quite a while. We uh, we always have a dry summer out here. It's a Mediterranean climate climate type, but uh, this year it was uh, drier than I've remembered for quite a while. We went from middle of June until the middle of October, and during that time frame, we had two tenths of an inch of rain. Wow. Wow, and then of course, as you're trying to get as you're trying to get work done, that's when it decides to rain again. So, what do you got to get done yep, here before yep. this next rain? 
uh, we've got one last field of wheat to plant uh, that we're right now today we're supposed to have two to three inches of rain come in it's blowing pretty good and uh, winds are up and we're going to be looking next week we're supposed to have a couple of dry days we just got it uh, terminated uh, yesterday and right before this rain came in and we're hoping to that if it's not too uh, soggy out there, we'll be able to get on it and uh, no-till a little bit of weed in. You bet. Well, good luck to you, Mike. We really appreciate you taking a little time out when you're super busy to talk to us. I knew you guys were dry, and I, I guess if that's a normal thing, you're probably not anything to worry about too much, but glad you're catching rain to get this yeah. next crop going. Uh, usually we tend to start getting rains around September, so it kind of bunched a lot of our planting up later in the fall than where we'd like to be at, but... You know, there's just, you can't control the weather. There's nothing <laughs> no. you can do on that. You're no, just going to work with what you got. <laughs> you bet. And the end is in sight. Well, good luck to you, Mike. Thank you so much. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. How can you make your corn crop more successful? I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, February 9th, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that can rob your yield potential. There's a great opportunity to make profit in your corn crop this year. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. Compromise is nice if you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitec fungicide, fast-acting and long-lasting, preventative and curative, disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill, and take your full prize in yields with Revitec fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. 
Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It is still Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are still open. If you want to call in, we would love to chat with you today. Had some great conversations already today. We've already been coast to coast, all the way uh, east to Virginia, west out to Oregon, Ohio, uh, Iowa, along the way so far, and we're just getting started. Uh, again, phone lines open 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can always email us radio at agphd.com. And that's exactly what we got as an email here from Drew uh, with a soil sample from Georgia. So we're traveling around a little bit more again today. Uh, all right. He said, guys, I got a fertilizer analysis here uh, on this byproduct from a local energy plant. They're burning wood chips and this product is an ash. And I'm just kind of curious if you see anything concerning in the ash. Uh, one thing I noticed is there's about 45 pounds of aluminum per ton. That's one thing. The other thing, there's hardly any nitrogen in there. Wood chips, generally you need a lot of nitrogen to overcome right. wood chips. What yep. about ash from burning wood chips? Well, you don't need near as much nitrogen to overcome that, but you're still going to have to have some because it's a higher, higher carbon residue source. So with the aluminum, first of all, usually we don't worry all that much about aluminum if your soil pH is good. If your soil pH is really low, that's where aluminum can be very toxic. So I, I mean, when when you're spreading this stuff, I think you're going to be just fine. It's like we always say, you know, just get started doing some stuff. Try it on a smaller scale. Go from there. Try it in a year or two, whatever, and, and see. But, I, I mean, like with this, would I be exceptionally worried? No. It's just make sure that you keep that pH up. Aluminum is actually used to lower pH. So, I, I mean, granted, 45 pounds per ton. Let's see. Did we say? Didn't say how many tons he was putting on or anything like that. But it's not like you're going to get that many total pounds out there in that entire soil profile. But I'm just trying to tell you, aluminum wants to push that pH down. So just kind of pay attention to that. Keep that pH up in the sixes and aluminum won't be a toxicity issue for you. But I, I, I would definitely be thinking, okay, I've put this on. I want to make sure that I am never short on nitrogen. So be paying attention to that because again, it's uh, a high carbon source, a high carbon to nitrogen ratio, not nearly as bad as wood chips, but it's still not perfect. All right. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Uh, get oh, this. Hey, oh. and as I say that, I, I just want to make sure that we're clear. If I can get almost any product that's going to give me a whole bunch of good nutrients and my cost is low, I'm interested in that. So I, I, I would definitely be interested in this product. I'm not telling you don't use it. It's just those are my two watchouts. One, make sure you ha keep the pH up. And two, make sure you keep enough nitrogen on that field. And it should be just fine. All right, let's dive into another one here. This one comes from Jerry, and he said, Hi, guys. What is good to control wild garlic in soybeans? I've used Presidual and Liberty as needed in the past 
for other weed control, but neither seems to have much impact on the garlic. Just curious what you think and what timing you would apply it. Now, here's the thing, Jerry. I guess if you're open to using traded soybeans, which it sounds like you are because you've tried Liberty before, which trait are you running? Are you running Extend Flex or are you running Enlist? Because 2,4-D at strong rates, multiple applications actually can work pretty decent on wild garlic. So for me, I think if I was going Enlist soybeans, I would look at using some Enlist 1 in that mix. And you could even mix it with Liberty if you want, which really heats it up on some of the other weeds. And it's probably a good idea to have multiple effective modes of action, just like with every other weed that we're going after. Keep in mind, but, it's a perennial, though. So yeah. are you actually going to kill it with the 2,4-D? No. You're okay. just going to burn it down. Okay. So that, we're talking in-crop here. And, and I'd say the same with dicamba. You can use dicamba. And you could go with extend flex beans. You could you could use uh, the same kind of talk that we just have with 2,4-D. You could use dicam if you had those traded soybeans. But you're right, Brian. It is a perennial, and often we see it first emerge in the late fall. So fall herbicide can be a great tool for you, Jerry. And I don't know exactly where you're at. Maybe you got time right now to knock out that wild garlic that's just getting started in the fall. So that would be my first thing I would be looking at is. Man, can I do a fall burn down? And I would use dicamba or 2,4-D in the mix, or possibly even both, uh, to to knock it out in the fall. Hey, let me throw something out here, just about fall herbicide applications. Very often, I will talk to people about fall herbicide applications, and it's like, nope, I'm too busy right then. Well, look, I, I, I mean, in life, we always have to think about what's the most important thing, and you know what? That's got to be our priority at that point. And it is hard. When you say, well, I got all this crop and it's worth all this money and everything else. But if let's just say, for example, I was talking to a guy the other day who said, you know what? I'm going to take this day off because the next week the forecast is perfect and I only have like a day or two of harvest left anyway. My point here is when it comes to this fall herbicide spring, if you have some really difficult weed, whether it's mare's tail or like in this case, wild garlic, just stopping the combine for a few hours in an afternoon on a really nice day in the fall will be worth it because then you get that stuff under control. So I, I and and in the spring, you don't have to fight it so much. So the first time we ever did this on our farm, it was mare's tail and dandelions. And we had just been fighting it in the spring, fighting it in the spring. And I'm like, let's try something different because we're just pounding our head against the wall here and getting nowhere with this stupid thing. So we stopped the combines for an afternoon, went out spraying, went went out spraying with, I don't remember if it was one or both of our sprayers, but anyway, the point is we got it done and thank goodness we did because the next spring, field's clean. No mare's tail, no dandelions. I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. I got to make sure we're talking to people about this. So we have been for many years since we did that. All right. Now, the other thing I'd say on wild garlic, I haven't seen any of the pre's that take it all out. Like Brand said, it's a perennial weed. Uh, that's not saying that you can't use some pre's and that the burn down of some of those pre's isn't going to help you. I mean, all those kinds of things are true. But when you think about it, herbicides just don't stick well with those leaves that wild garlic's got, often uh, kind of a round, hollow leaf. So in my mind, I'm going with the 2,4-D and dicamba options, and I'm going out with fall treatments. If I possibly can, that would be the, the best way to go.
Hey, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that, Jerry. Uh, get this one in from Victor. He's out in California, and he said, okay, guys, so I grew up in California in the country, and believe me, we had the only stoplight for like 120 miles or so in either way uh, on this north-south road. And I, I get it. It doesn't sound like California to most, but we were in the rural area. However, unfortunately, I've become urbanized, and the urban propaganda machine wants me, and these are his words, the urban propaganda machine, that's a direct quote, wants me to believe that because GMO Roundup-resistant crops are Roundup-resistant, that growers will drown them in Roundup as they are trying to poison us all. What is the truth with pesticides and GMO? I would love to hear from you. I love your show. I love everything else on rural radio. Uh, although one thing, the market reports do get a little long since they don't have any skin in the game. But so just kind of curious, what's, what's the real truth here? When glyphosate first came out about 50 years ago, they touted how safe it was. It's a safe product. It's never caused cancer in anyone. If you look at all the tests ever done by every regulatory agency in the world, zero of them say it causes cancer. So that's the first thing. Hey, the here's, second, here's one ahead. thing I'd say too, Brian, is think about how much Roundup we're actually using because I, I was just sensitive that's I was to going that, next. that comment of drown the crops in Roundup. Uh, farmers, if they can afford it, will use 44 ounces of Roundup on an acre. That's the size of a football field. But 44 but here, ounces. But here's the thing, because I've I have been a farmer my entire life, and I've worked with farmers my entire life. And if there's ever any possibility of cutting the rate, the farmer will do it. I do it. Other people do it. Anytime there is an opportunity to cut the rate where we say, yeah, I don't, I don't think I need that higher rate. <laughs> so the point is the farmer's always trying to use a lower rate, not a higher rate. And yeah, it's, it's a few ounces over a whole acre. So to think that we're going to poison the planet with a few ounces of stuff over an acre, yeah, no way. Hey, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And uh, and good luck to you. Hopefully you don't get too urbanized, Victor, and you get a chance to get back out in the country. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Commodity Classic is the place to discover what's next in agriculture. From top-notch education to the latest ag technology, join us in Orlando March 9th through 11th, 2023. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com, which is a really good thing to do if you've got soil tests that you've got questions on. In fact, the absolute ideal would be email us the soil tests and then call in and say, okay, I just sent you an email with the soil tests. Brian and I both have computers sitting right in front of us. We can pull up our email and see them as they as they come. So there's uh, some questions that have already come in here during the show and it's some that have come in ahead of time as well. Uh, so this one comes in from Caleb, and he said, um, all right, guys, got a question about my CEC being too high. Is there a negative aspect to a high CEC? Are soil tests accurate reading CEC? Uh, would it be lower if I had good fertility? This is my second crop. I'm still trying to learn here. It's a corn-on-corn corn rotation in central Texas shooting for 120 bushels. Okay, there's something that we have. Well, actually, it's right on this soil test, and you didn't have the test run. It's called excess lime rate. So that is something that you want to do in the future. We So the last few years, you've had Neil Kinsey come in for three-day seminars and do three-day seminars here right at our Ag PhD field day site because we got this great big facility where we can hold a 1,000 people and stuff. And so we've had a lot of farmers come from all around the country. And one of the things that I personally also am interested in is your question. Is cation exchange capacity or can it be overstated? So here's one. Let's see. The highest one is 63.5 that he sent in. The reason why it's so high is your calcium level is 12,158 parts per million. That's really high. The whole thing is if you had that excess lime rate tested, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to assume, though, that there is excess lime in that soil. 
And so the test that Kinsey runs is the cation displacement test, where basically you're trying to take some of that excess lime out, try to figure out what's the actual cation exchange capacity, where are we actually at with some of our base saturation tests and, and those kind of things. So uh, the, the biggest way that super high cation exchange capacity hurts you would be it can tie up a lot of things in your soil. And we see this especially when the organic matter level is really high, but yours is not. Your organic matter level is down near one. So when we deal with the super high organic matter soil, sometimes it'll be 30 and 40% organic matter. Even if it's 15% organic matter, that can tie up herbicides. It can tie up more nutrients. So we talk more about the importance of foliar treatments with herbicide use and a little bit with fertilizer use, but then also it's banded fertilizer. So when we see a soil like this where we go, whoa, it's 90, at least on this test, it's showing 96% calcium, we would tell you, I'd probably band some nutrients to feed the plant. Now, if you want to put on a whole bunch of nutrients to fix the soil also, I mean, would I try that? Probably. <laughs> but um, for a lot of people, they're going to go, yeah, I'm too worried about tie-up, and I don't want to wait 20 years before this stuff comes available. i got to have a crop right now. So uh, my number one concern for you is when I look at these soil tests, I see three parts per million, four parts per million of phosphorus. So with your phosphorus, my suggestion is going to be ban that phosphorus. I'll also tell you, you've got some other things that are that look really low, for example, zinc, copper, and boron on the micronutrient end. And I don't know what test exactly was run here, what type of extraction method was used or anything, and maybe it's on here somewhere, I'm just not seeing it. But if those numbers are true and real, those are really, really low. So you got to do something. So if it's me, I'm probably going to be out there banding a blend of fertilizer that's going to include a fair amount of P, a little bit of K, and then just a trace of zinc, copper, boron, iron, some of those things, some of those micronutrients that are really short. Now, with nitrogen and sulfur and boron, um, those you're you're probably just fine to broadcast those. You don't have to band those because they will still move through that super heavy soil. It'll probably be okay. Can you band them? Yes. You just have to be careful about where you're placing them. We don't want to get them too close to the seed or anything like that if you're putting on some of these high salt things like nitrate or some of the things that could, if you put on too much, be a little toxic like boron. So if you're careful with those, you could band them, but otherwise you could certainly broadcast them too. But yes, this is a challenging soil, and I would get that excess lime test run next time, and let's just see if it says we have excess lime. If that comes back saying high, that tells us, okay, uh, maybe our cation, or maybe our cation exchange capacity is a little lower than it, what they're saying here, and the base saturation numbers are probably a little bit better. Awesome. Thanks for the for the questions. We really appreciate that. And hopefully you can catch uh, uh, one of our Ag PhD oh, seminars coming up this winter sorry. to learn a little more about soils. Sorry, there was one other thing that I should have mentioned, that magnesium is really low. And we don't have that real often in our northern heavy clay soils, but you've got that. Um, it, I mean, I'm not saying it's ridiculously low, but it's it's quite low. So at least getting some magnesium out there as well would probably be a good idea, like maybe a K-mag or something like that. All right. Uh, another question here. This one uh, just came in on email. It's Jeff over in Minnesota. He said, 
All right. How much moisture do you feel is needed to apply in ammonia? Given how dry we've been in the upper Midwest this fall, just wondering, would you recommend <laughs> waiting or switching uh, to stabilized and tilled in urea? We don't see any vapors that are escaping as we're trying to apply, but given how sand-like the top six inches in, the trench closes easily, but... Can it slowly escape over a few days or weeks if there's no moisture to attach to? It can, but usually it's going to attach fairly quickly, and I'm not that worried about it if I don't see anything coming out. Now, if, like for us, we've got rain in the forecast three, four days from now. We're so dry. Am I worried about even getting, am I worried about getting too much rain that I can't be out there again? No. So if that's the case for you, would I consider waiting if you're worried about it? Yeah, I probably would. But I, I guess I don't know how dry your soil really is without actually being there and seeing it and touching it myself. But that's usually my recommendation is, hey, if, if it seals up, it doesn't look like there's anything that's coming out right then. Generally speaking, you're pretty good. Would I use urea in the fall on my farm? No. Nope. We will only use urea and liquid 28% in the spring. Other than, I mean, if you want to do a few pounds, fine. But if you're talking... Uh, getting 100 or 200 units of nitrogen out there. No, I'd wait till spring if it's going to be urea or 28. Just too much risk for loss. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I get this one in from Reed and he said, I got a question about volunteer wheat. We normally like to till our wheat stubble as soon as we can after harvest. The problem is winter or volunteer wheat germinates after that and can get quite big before winter arrives. So we either have to spray it or till it again. And obviously the price of fuel and chem and so forth, we'd like to avoid that. The obvious solution would be just to wait a while before tilling the wheat stubble. But if we have a wet fall like we're getting this year, we right. lose the opportunity yep. before winter. That's so right. I'm wondering, should I be concerned about volunteer wheat in the first place? Is it using up new nutrients out there. Um, let's see, is it going to get too big to interfere with seeding equipment? And should I just skip the second pass what? of tillage, do it the first time, and then just not worry about the eyesore? Uh, what, what crop are we planting in the spring? Doesn't say. Oh, okay. So first of all, that, that volunteer wheat in effect now this fall, that's your cover crop. So you got free cover crop so am I? So the question was, am I worried about it? No, I'm not because now I got a cover crop. However, there are downsides to cover crop in that your your soil is going to be a little wetter and a little cooler in the spring. So if that's not a problem for you, then I wouldn't worry about it. I just wait till spring and I kill it off then. If you're very concerned about that, then you can try to control it this fall. The problem is it's going to take Roundup and it's going to take a high rate of Roundup but Roundup doesn't work very well after our first hard-killing frost, whereas wheat a lot of times can continue to grow. So if you have the opportunity where you haven't had a killing frost in your area, then go ahead and spray Roundup if you don't want that stuff to be growing at all or show up at all again in the spring. Otherwise, like I say, I, I just I don't think I get that worried about it. In terms of it using water and nutrients, sure, it's going to use some, but you know what? When you kill it off in the spring then it's going to that 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 plant is going to break down it's going to release the nutrients back into the soil and usually the little bit of moisture it might have used in this in the fall it's capturing some of that back because you have a little more winter uh snowfall that is going to get held in that area because you have what now is a cover crop all right thanks for the question reed 
Thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. And now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.